So I found out this week I've been playing Monopoly wrong my entire life. The official rules state that the game is over when one player goes bankrupt. As soon as the first person loses it all, then you're supposed to count up what you've got and see who has the most. But And the word one is even in bold in the directions. But for as long as I've been playing, we always kept going until all but one player had gone bankrupt. It could only, the game of Monopoly can only finally be over hours later when one person has everything and everyone else has nothing. Which means, of course, in practice that the game only ends when all the kids are crying, all the adults are sulking, and one uncle is like smugly rubbing it in. It's a miserable game. I'm sorry to all of you who like it. I think it soured me on board games for a long time. I got it all wrong. That's what my wife thinks I have it all wrong, too. She loves it. But last year, I discovered Pandemic, not the pandemic we all discovered, but the board game Pandemic, which was an unfortunately appropriate Christmas gift uh, in 2019. And the object of the game is to eradicate these four different viruses spread across the globe and spreading further with each turn. At the beginning of the game, you get assigned a role. Maybe you're a scientist or a medic or a researcher, just like the top hat or the thimble. And they all have different powers and advantages. You draw cards, you take turns. It's a board game. But there's one difference. There are no teams. Or there's, there's one team. And you're all on it. You all either all win or you all lose. So at least if you're going crying to your room, you're not alone. Pandemic is a cooperative board game, which is apparently a thing. And since playing it, I've gotten kind of hooked on them. I have a bunch of them now. It turns out there's a whole world of games that are meant to be played together by a single team. And they're, it doesn't make them easy. They're challenging and exciting and fun, even with no winners or losers, or with all winners or losers. And it's gotten me thinking, what might change in the world if Pandemic were as popular as Monopoly, or more popular than Monopoly? What if instead of playing Sorry and Scrabble and Yahtzee, we grew up playing cooperative games like, like Time Stories or Codename Duets? If instead of trying to prove that we were smarter or more strategic or luckier than the other person, we tried to use that same skill to benefit one another? to complete a common mission, to help everyone win. In the other pandemic, the one that we've all been making our way through, it's clear that we're not all on the same page about what game we're playing. A headline from the Tribune a few weeks ago says it all. I am 30 and have no reason to be vaccinated. Setting aside the questionable truth of that statement, it's clear what kind of game that person is playing. Sorry that you missed Go by one square, but I own Boardwalk and I have two hotels on it, so you might want to start thinking about mortgaging properties. Sorry you're old or young or immunocompromised or an essential worker, but I'm 30 your life is not really my concern. We're not 
on the same team. And it's easy for me to finger wag at like the obvious examples of selfishness that are kind of in our face right now, but the truth is I'm guilty of the same kind of thinking. When my family got vaccinated, or when Illinois' numbers are lower than our neighbors, or Chicago's numbers are lower than downstate, or when America started rolling out millions of shots, I'm guilty of thinking, well, at least we're safe. At least my team is winning. And of course, even if that weren't false for other reasons, the Delta variant is showing that scientifically speaking, that's not the game we're playing. None of us is safe unless we're all safe. We all win or we all lose. But that way of thinking persists in me. I still think of life like a competitive game. When I hear about violence in our city and I breathe a sigh of relief, oh, it's nowhere near my neighborhood. Or when, as I actually did this week, I see a map of our country that shows all the places where the heat is going into triple digits, and I'm like, well, it's going to be beautiful here, so that seems good. Or frankly, when something good happens to someone else and not to me, like this friend of mine got a book deal this week, and instead of being happy for her, I was jealous. Like her win meant I was losing as if we were on different teams, as if what happens in another state or another neighborhood doesn't affect me, as if I could win while they lose, or if they win, I lose. As if being the last one at the table when everyone else has been ground into dust would be some kind of victory. In the church in Ephesus, That's what Ephesians means. It's a letter to the church in Ephesus. In the early church, there were two teams. That's how they thought of themselves, kind of two factions, two camps, the Jews and the Gentiles. And they were vying to see who would have control going forward. On one hand, the Jewish people had the advantage because they were there first. Jesus was Jewish. They were God's chosen people. They knew the rules. They'd been playing the game for generations. And on the other hand, the Gentiles had the edge because there were more of them and they were like converting by the thousands and flooding into the church. Jesus had sought them out, had insisted that they were part of the movement too. And so they struggled with each other about, they argued about what the rules were, like whether you're supposed to put $500 in free parking and if you do, whether you're supposed to do it just once at the beginning of the game or every time it gets emptied, you add another $500. They tried to be the ones who ended up with everything and left the other team with nothing. And Paul says, what game do you think we're playing? Jesus threw out those rules, abolished those commandments and ordinances. There's a new object now. You've been playing the game the wrong way the whole time. He took down the wall that divided you into teams. There aren't Jews and Gentiles anymore. There aren't slaves and free people anymore. There aren't male and female anymore. No thimble and top hat, no shirts and skins. It's not that kind of game. Remember the way he died, Paul said? That's the end of all your competitive games. Death, destruction, someone ground into the dust. Everyone ground into the dust. 
lost so that you could see how empty that kind of victory is. So that you could see it's a miserable game. He came to bring a new game, and, and this is how it starts. There's one team, one new humanity in place of the two. One body, one spirit, one hope, one faith, one baptism, one God. There's one team with one objective, but don't think that means it's easy, it's challenging. To win, you have to get everyone playing the same game. Convince everyone that life is a game of cooperation, a game of love, that they are on the same team, that there's only one team, that all the divisions they've been playing under are not real. To win, you have to convince them that they're not separate, that there's no winning while someone else is losing. You have to convince a 30-year-old to do something that benefits someone else. You have to convince a 40-year-old that a friend's win is not his loss, that all of this crying and sulking and smugness are a sign we've been playing by the wrong rules. It's not supposed to be a miserable game. And you have to do it before time runs out and time is running out. This week, I searched to see if anyone had made up different rules for Monopoly. I figured some like good collectivist had probably hacked the game, figured out a way to make it cooperative. And they definitely have. But what I found was like way better than that. It turns out that the original game of Monopoly we've all been playing wrong for like 100 years. The game it was originally based on came with two completely different sets of rules. This woman, Lizzie Magee, invented it over 100 years ago. And she made it with two different ways to play. One was the monopolist version and one was the anti-monopolist version. And the monopolist version is pretty much the way we play now, but, but in the anti-monopolist version, the wealth that gets created when people buy or develop their property gets shared with everyone. There's a tax on landowners that means that as they get richer, so do the people around them. And the game ends not when everyone goes bankrupt or even when one person goes bankrupt. The game ends when the person with the least money has doubled the money that they started with. The loser of the game is the one who only doubles their money. The name of the first version of the game is the landlord game, and the name of the second is prosperity. Meiji got the idea from her own anger at the monopolists of her time, like Carnegie and Rockefeller. She saw how they amassed fortunes while others suffered, the way they treated life like a competition. She saw what an awful game it made. And she invented her own game as this lesson about the economics of greed. And she included the landlord version of the game. And her whole goal in that was for people, especially children, to play it and see what a terrible game it was. They were supposed to play it and see that it kind of offended their fundamental sense of fairness to play Monopoly the way we do. She hoped they would bring that forward into adulthood with them. They would see that the game was no good and that they could play something better. 
In other words, the game of Monopoly, I'm sorry, Leo, but the game of Monopoly was always meant to make us cry and sulk. It was designed to be a miserable game for us to see the suffering and realize that kind of victory is hollow. It was always supposed to be a bad game, and now that we know it, we don't have to play it. I mean, you can play Monopoly, but like metaphorically. You'll be shocked to learn that Meiji's idea was stolen by a man who repackaged it decades later and became a millionaire from it while she was lost to history. That man, he sold it during the Great Depression. His name was Charles Darrow. He was unemployed, and for years the company printed a version of his story and put it in each box. Rags to riches. That way of thinking still persists. Rags versus riches. It's a bad game. Let's play something different. Call it prosperity. Call it cooperation. Call it love. Time is running out. Either we all win or we all lose. <laughs>